The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the command in God's Word to live honorably among unbelievers. We talked about what it means to and how to apply this command to our own lives and we've pointed out the fact that the ultimate goal is to honor and to glorify our Heavenly Father with our life. And in doing so, it's going to point other people to Jesus. You see, they, when I say they, I'm talking about the unbelievers. They're going to observe you and they're going to see your good works and they'll respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit and they'll surrender their lives and place their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when that happens, God is glorified. A big part of living honorably among unbelievers is living submissively. You know, that's kind of a tough thought to think about submitting. The world has painted a picture of that as being weakness. But Peter, in God's Word here, he's very clear about living submissive to the authorities and he's, he, he is clear about living submissive to the government. We talked about all that last week. But another act of submissiveness that God's Word covers is living submissive towards our masters. See, we didn't talk about that. In verse 18 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Peter says, Be submissive to our masters with all fear, whether they're good and gentle or harsh. Then in verse 19, he says, This is commendable. The bottom line is this, being a Christian does not give us the right to rebel against our superior, our employer. In fact, he says, we find favor with God when we, though treated unjustly, accept our poor treatment and place our trust in God's sovereign care. Now, if you'll recall, we've mentioned this before, this holy book that I preach out of every Sunday, you can start at Genesis and you can go all the way to Revelation. In this book screams, trust me. And when we live submissively, that's exactly what we're doing. We are trusting Him because He tells us in here that that's how we should live. Trust Him. Don't respond with anger and hostility and pride. In chapter 2, Peter taught that living successfully as a Christian in a hostile and unbelieving world would require relating properly in two places. In civil society... Relating properly according to God's Word with the government. We talked about that last week in verses 13 
through 17. The second place is in the workplace. We just talked about that. Relating properly according to God's word with your boss. This morning we're going to begin chapter 3 of 1 Peter and uh, as we begin this chapter, he's going to add two more places to that list. That's the family and the church. If I, Chad James, a professing born-again believer in Jesus Christ, is to live successfully, and when I say that, I mean in a manner in which God, or in which uh, myself, this big ugly joker right here, is booted out of the way and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is thrust forward, then I have to live with a proper relation according to God's word to civil society, in the workplace, and within my family and within my church. Today we're going to explore what Peter teaches in regards to living Christ-like within the family unit. And we're going to specifically focus on <laughs> the husband and the wife within that family unit. So if you got your Bibles or you got a copy of God's Word, whether it's like the one I got or on your phone or tablet or whatever it is, I want to invite you this morning to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin reading there in verse 1 and we're going to read down through verse 7. Chapter 3 starts like this. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. <laughs> Oh, goodness. We'll get into that in a minute. That even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct and accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. The last verse here we're going to read is verse 7, and it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Pray with me. Father God, we're so thankful for your word this morning. God, I ask, Lord, that you would move me out of the way Boot Chad James out of the way, Lord, that we might hear from you. God, fill my head with your wisdom and my mouth with your words, Lord, that you and you alone may be glorified in this hour, this morning. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, please don't sit there and think, look, 
You just, you just went through six verses talking about the wife and what she's got to do in just one concerning the husband. Well, we're going to pick that apart here in just a minute. And that one verse about that husband, folks, listen to me. That one verse is heavy, heavy, heavy. We're going to talk about the wives first, but then we're going to talk about the husbands. All right? In verse 1 right here, as we read, Peter begins by saying, Wives, likewise, be submissive. By using this word, likewise, Peter is insisting that just like your husband is submissive to the civil order of society and, and to his workplace, you are to be submissive in the social order. In the family unit, this is what, we're what he's talking about here. If we are to be a witness for the Lord, we must be submissive in the civil order and in the social order, the family unit, the way God designed it. Yet man has tried to pervert this design. You see, women are not inferior to men. Don't think that for one second. Why is that, Brother Chad? Because the Word says so. Women are not inferior to men. No more than Christians are inferior to pagan rulers or unbelieving bosses. Jesus said, if you'll remember in John chapter 13 where he's washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said, a servant is no greater than his master. Paul said in Galatians that neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female, we are one in Christ Jesus. But wives have been given a role within the family unit, a role given to them from God that puts them in submission to the headship which resides in her husband. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writes this, The head of man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. In verse 8, if you read on through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you go down to verse 8, he says, Man is not from woman, but woman came from man. We're not done. If you go on down to verse 12 in that same 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says this, woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. You see, God has designed the social order. God has designed the family unit. But above all that order is who? Him. As long as everyone below him submits to him, it works perfectly, as does everything God designs. If we read on down there in 
verse 1. The wind's trying to blow my pages all over the place here in my Bible. If we read on down into verse 1 where Peter writes, Some don't obey the word. He here is referring to an unbelieving husband who is married to a believing wife. You see, in the first century, the time in which Peter wrote this, uh, in that culture, listen to me now, culture is not what God designed. Culture is something that man cultivates. But in that first century culture, they viewed women as lower than men. The potential for problems in that type of scenario in which a, 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 an unbelieving husband is married to a believing wife is great, just as it is today. But Peter here in, in, in Scripture, he's not encouraging her to leave her husband. He's not encouraging her uh, to preach at him or to make demands. He's telling her, that he may be won by staying with him, that he may be won by her conduct. You see, that's what he says there at the end of verse 1 of chapter 3. That he may be won by the conduct of his wife. Her love and her grace are the strongest evangelical tools she has. When you think about Jesus, so often when we think about the Lord Jesus, the first couple of words that come to our minds is love and grace. And that's what Peter is telling the wife, uh, how, how she should be, show her love and her grace and in doing so, her husband may be won for the cause of Christ by her conduct. This same truth is set forth, if you'll recall, when we were reading verse 12 of, uh, of chapter 2 here a couple of weeks ago. This same truth has been set forth there. It says, they will see your good works and they will do what? They will glorify God. This is what he was talking about when we are living uh, in the civil society living among unbelievers, the same truth applies in the family unit. Verse 2 says, When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, when we read this, it reminds the wife that the purity of life with reverence for God is what the unsaved husband should observe consistently. Wife, if you're married to an unbelieving husband, if you, want to, if you want to lead him to the Lord, then you need to live like the Lord before him. Now, now I want you all to, to be patient here with me for just a second. It seems like that we're just really hammering on the wife, but husbands, your turn is coming. But wife, believing wife, if you have a husband uh, that you want to live, uh, lead to the Lord, then we must, you must consistently uh, live a life that is pure and then ha exhibits reverence for God. He must see and observe your works. That way he can in turn glorify 
God. <clears throat> Look in verse 3. He says, Don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Peter is not condemning outward adornment here. Please don't confuse that. I want to tell you folks, I, I, I love when we get ready to go somewhere and my wife goes in there and she sits, she's probably going to glare at me. She always likes warning when I get ready to use her in a sermon. But I really like when she goes in there and sits in front of her little mirror there with all her little her, her, her jewelry and her, her, her makeup and all those things and she gets all fixed up and she... She's got her hair all fixed up and we, we're getting ready to go out to eat or go to church or somewhere like that. I like that. Of course, I love her regardless. But I like that. There's nothing wrong. Peter is not condemning the wife for doing something like this because that is no reflection on her heart. What Peter is condemning is an incessant preoccupation with outward appearance while neglecting what's going on in here. Neglecting her own character. Living a life filled with vanity. Godly Christian wives should concentrate their efforts on developing that chaste, that reverent Christ-like character. Are you all familiar with Proverbs chapter 31? Talks about a woman. It says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty will not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Peter here is talking about a woman. There's nothing wrong with fixing yourself up and fixing your hair up and all those things, but when that becomes your focus, when that becomes the only thing you look at in your life is developing her, your vanity, then there's a problem. Verse 4. I don't know which way the wind is blowing. It blows my Bible all over the place. Continuing his thought from uh, verse 3 uh, when he tells them, uh, don't let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair and wearing the gold and putting on fine apparel. He says this, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. He says here, he uses the words incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. See, this beauty that he's talking about will never, hear me now, it will never decay as the body does. You see, from the time we're born, we're dying. Peter is encouraging her to develop those things that will never die. Incorruptible, that's what that means. The incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle is actually meaning meek or humble here. 
And quiet describes uh, the character of her action and reaction to her husband and in life in general. You see, he's reminding us here that those things are, are not only precious to her husband, but they are precious to Almighty God. Verses 5 and 6, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. You see, certain Old Testament saints are models of inner beauty. They're models of character and of modesty and of submissiveness to their husbands. Peter uses the example of Sarah here in Scripture. Now I want to go ahead and say there are potential uh, fears for a Christian wife who sets out to be submissive uh, to an unsaved husband as to where such submission in that family might lead. But following the same examples as the apostles, when she is forbidden to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll remember back in Acts in chapter uh, 4 and chapter 5 when the apostles were forbidden by the authorities to preach in Jesus' name, it is then that they should not be submissive. This same truth applies to the wife. The submission can end when that man tells you, you cannot worship in Jesus' name. Wives, that's when the submission can end. But also there goes along with this, there are consequences for doing such things. Did you notice uh, in, in Acts chapter 4 and in chapter 5 when they told them don't do this, uh, do not preach in, in, in Jesus' name, what happened to them? Was it all hunky-dory? No. They were thrown into prison and they were beaten and in some cases in the case of Stephen, he was stoned to death. So there are consequences. But Peter is saying right here, don't be afraid. Trust God. Trust Him regardless of the situation. Stephen endured horrible consequences. He lost his life there. But friends, I want to tell you, as Stephen was being stoned from the description in Acts chapter 8 of him being stoned, it says he's standing there and he's looking up into heaven. And he's asking God, don't charge him with this sin. So I'm here to tell you folks that the consequences were severe, but Stephen trusted God and I'm telling you, he didn't feel a rock hit him. And in an instant, he was in the presence of the Lord. Our last verse, husbands, it's our turn. You might say, well, it don't seem like a whole lot. He just saying one, he just talked about the husbands here in one verse. Bear with me just a second. 
Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, submission within the marriage, within the context of the family unit, husband and wife, Submission is also the responsibility of the Christian husband as well. Though he's not submitting to his wife here as uh, the leader, a believing husband must submit to the loving duty of being sensitive to her needs, being sensitive to her fears and being sensitive to her feelings. In other words, husbands, this is what God's Word is telling us, and this is what I'm saying this morning. In other words, Christian husbands, you need to subordinate your needs for hers. We need to move our spoil behind out of the way and place her needs before yours. whether she is a Christian or not. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, you remember I told you that last verse carries a lot of weight? Paul reminds us here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul said this, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, there's where all the weight lies. When we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ did, we are charged to do the same thing in regards to our wife. And therein lies the weight. He's saying here, be chivalrous and be her champion. Here in verse 7, Peter uses the term weaker vessel. Remember, while she is fully equal in Christ and not inferior spiritually, just because she's a woman, she is weaker physically. You know, nothing... Nothing makes me happier than when my wife asks me, hey, can you pick this up? Can you move this? Can you twist the top off of this? Well, I swell up. Yeah, I got it. The wife is weaker physically, but she is in no way weaker in the eyes of Christ. She is no way weaker spiritually. I'm going to tell you what right now, uh, uh, my wife, I pick on her a lot, but I'm telling you that she is she is so much more has so much more strength in regard in regards to spirituality than I do. Peter's reminding us right here that she is in need of protection and strength from her husband. Peter concludes. And I'm going to wrap this up with what Peter concludes with 
He says they're heirs together with the grace of life. Here in this passage, <clears throat> the grace of life he is talking about here is not salvation, but marriage. You see, the very best relationship this earthly life has to offer is the relationship between a man and his wife. Follow me now. I'm talking about an earthly relationship. I'm, I'm not talking about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about an earthly relationship. And Peter's telling us here, the husband must be the one that is responsible to con uh, cultivate companionship and fellowship with his wife. It's our job, husband. Whether she's a Christian or not, we have to do that. Well, why is that, preacher? Peter tells us here at the end of verse 7. So his prayers may not be hindered. And this refers specifically to the husband's prayer for the salvation of his wife. You see, husbands, if you're married to a wife that's not saved, you living a life that is consistent with the Lord Jesus' life is very important. Scripture here tells us that your prayers may be hindered if, if you're not. Well, what does that mean, preachers? Does that mean God ain't going to hear them? No, that's not what that means. But what it does mean is you may be leading her astray. You are showing her something else besides Jesus if you're not living a life that is submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ, a life that mirrors Him. In that aspect, your prayers will be hindered. I want to encourage you husbands and wives here this morning that we all have a responsibility charged to us from God's Word to live submissively. Submissive to one another. I pray that each and every one of you here has a spouse to save. I had a friend of mine that I sang gospel music with a long time. This young man, if you were to, and he would be fine sharing this with you this morning if he were here, because he's done it from stage before. To know this young man, you would look at him and say, well, he is the model of a Christian young man. Never heard an ill word come out of his mouth towards somebody else. Always complimentary, always humble. I thought he was saved. I think he probably thought he was there for a little while too. Married his beautiful wife. Been married for several years. We had stopped singing and he had surrendered to the music ministry where he was 
a, a minister of music in a church rather than going up and down the road with a quartet. They had a revival there one night and the, uh, the evangelist that was there speaking, he told the husbands and wives to join hands. They're standing there in the, in the sanctuary. Told the husbands and wives to join hands. Close their eyes. And he told them, he said, look, as you're holding your spouse's hand, I want you to tell them. Say it where they can hear you. I can't wait to spend eternity with you. I can't wait to get to heaven and spend eternity with you. Ross told me he was sharing this, sharing his testimony with us. He told me as I was holding my wife's hand, he said, the Lord revealed to me in that moment, I could not tell her that. He said, because I had never been saved. He said, I had been churched, but I had never been saved. And I couldn't hold her hand and I couldn't tell her, I can't wait to spend eternity with you in heaven. He said, in that moment is when I realized that I was lost. So I want to encourage you here this morning, husbands and wives, as we pray and dismiss, I want you to hold her hand. Wives, I want you to hold his hand. And I want you to be able to tell them, I can't wait to spend eternity with you. And if you can't do that when we get through praying, I don't want you to leave this place. I don't want you to leave this place not knowing Jesus. I don't want you to leave this place without having the confidence and knowing that not only are you going to get to go to heaven and be with Jesus for eternity, you're going to get to do it with the love of your life. So let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful, Lord, for your word. Father, we're thankful for your love and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we're thankful for the provision for being able to gather here, Lord, in one mind, one heart, and one accord, Lord, and worship you this morning. God, I'm thankful for my wife this morning. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that she loves you more than she loves me. God, and I'm thankful that one day when our little journey here on this earth is over, we get to spend an eternity together with you. Father, if there be one here this morning that can't say those words with confidence, Lord, not confidence in themselves, but, Lord, confidence in you, Father, I pray that this would be the day, Lord, that they would give their life to you. That way they could have peace. God, I lift up my family to you, my wife's family, Lord, Sister Kim, her brother David, Lord, the entire McManus family. Lord, as I looked 
Out over this crowd, Father, I saw Brother Dan sitting back there, him and Miss Mickey. God, and I lift them up to you, Lord. I lift his brother up to you. God, there's so many, Father, that my feeble mind can't remember. But, Lord, I pray that you would be ever-present in their lives. Lord, to touch, heal, and comfort, whatever the case may be. And we would be sure to give you all honor and glory for it. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless all of you. I love you. He loves you more. I want to encourage you. If you couldn't sit there and pray this morning that prayer with confidence that you're going to get to spend an eternity, an eternity with Jesus and your spouse, then don't leave here until we pray, until we talk. Miss Nita went on to be with the Lord, continue to pray for Kim. I uh, talked to Jason this morning. Kim was asleep, uh, finally getting some rest. And he said just as soon as we they found out or made the arrangements, he'd let me know and I'll make those available. Uh, we'll make them available on the church Facebook page, plus I'll send out a group uh, message to everyone. Uh, but until we meet again, I, I don't know... Um, I don't know that, that Adrian and them got the books yet or not for the Bible study tonight. Um, or Brother Mickey, I don't know that yet. Uh, but I'll, I'll send out a message to that effect whether or not we're going to be able to have the adult Bible study uh, this afternoon. With that being said, y'all are dismissed in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon.